Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Good morning, Colonial Woods. How's everybody this morning? Ooh, as I'd say, that's about a, if I were doing that little thing, it'd be right about there. So that's all right. That's all right. Hopefully, by the time we're done, that'll be up to here or so. And if you're joining at home, I want to say welcome to you as well. And hey, do this for me this morning. Is it still raining outside? Did anybody know? Is it raining? Yeah. Kind of ish-ish. Turn to your neighbor and say, praise the Lord. It's raining in August. Do that, would you? Praise the Lord. It's raining in August. Now, you may not care about that. My dad in August would have loved a rain. There, we grew up on a farm, and my dad had it is very consistent. I'm looking at Steve out there. I don't know if it's a good or bad. I can't tell. I can't tell uh, because we had a lot of rain early, and it was or it had no rain early, crazy rain. Uh, monsoon, I think, came in right about the end of June, and so I know that message. But I just know this. When you hit August, it starts to get a little dry, and you just need a little moisture and kind of get you through to the end of the season. So my dad was one of those guys. He believed in the Lord, believed the Lord was the one who gave the rain, and he said, I'll never never am I going to complain about the rain. He said he'd stand in the barn, he would watch the rain, say, hey, praise the Lord, it's raining, it's raining. He'd always praise the Lord, and probably because he knew there wasn't anything he'd do about it anyway, but anyway, it just kind of always reminds me whenever there's a summer rain. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd love for you to take them and turn to Leviticus, book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible, chapter 6, it's where we're going to headquarter today. As we continue in a series called Binder Series, uh, the Binder Series is basically it's how God has maybe the messages over the years that the Lord has just brought to my attention, keeps bringing them back. And this actually, um, I, I remember preaching the basis of this thing a number of years ago when I was invited to speak at uh, the General Conference of the Conservative Mennonite Church. And I was speaking, doing some teaching in the mornings on communication, and then in the evening uh, I'd be doing some preaching on and just kind of encourage them. And, and this was actually a message that began targeting toward a number of leaders and pastors in, area, in their churches. And I just remember it very clearly. In Hicksville, Ohio, Hicksville, Ohio, only the conservative Mennonites have their national conference in Hicksville, Ohio, uh, in the middle of winter. <laughs> it was that kind of a thing. But anyway, it just has spoken to my heart. And just a couple of weeks ago, man, boom, God just brought it back to my attention. I wanted to share it with you this morning. Now, this is different, right? Because we're in camp week. We've got about two, 250 of our folks are out at camp. Uh, I think today, I think everybody knows this is our last service of the day. Next week, we get back into our kind of our normal three-service format, looking forward to hearing what God has been doing in their hearts. And hopefully, you'll be able to share what God's been doing in your heart as well. Leviticus is one of those books that's a little intimidating. Uh, in fact, if you read through the Bible, or maybe you come up to the first of the year and you say, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, you, you usually can get through Genesis pretty strong. You probably get through Exodus fairly strong. You get about to chapter 6 of Leviticus, and it's like, okay, maybe it's time for the Psalms or something like that. It's, a, it's kind of a challenging book, but it's interesting because the book of Leviticus 
is a book that in its intention is entirely to help us understand the holiness of God. When you see the altar, when you see the, the sacrifices, when you see all the blood, it, it be, can become very like, man, what in the world is this even in the Bible for? But what it's supposed to help us to understand is the holy otherness of God, his holiness, and that what, it, what it takes in order for us to even be worthy to come before him. I was uh, actually doing a FaceTime. Uh, in between first and second service. I do that often on Sunday mornings. I call my mom, do a FaceTime with whoever my sister is that's there. And uh, we talk, I get to talk with my mom. And my sister was telling me, she said, she said, I really appreciated that message because I, I never quite understood why all this was in the Bible. And I just said, hey, when you read the Old Testament, remember, everything you see in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Leviticus, is pointing forward to a future perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so as you read it, read what this, what Jesus, how he perfectly fulfills that, and it'll help you understand the Old Testament a lot better. As we get into Leviticus chapter 6, we are coming to the burnt offering. And it's interesting what God says to Moses about this offering. It's found in chapter 6 of Leviticus, verse 8. If you have your note sheets, they're in your note sheet as well. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations of the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest then is to put his linen cloths on, with linen undergarments next to his body, and he shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Now, at first glance, you may read this, and it may not really say a whole lot, but I got to tell you, there's a lot in that passage. I tried to focus, and I tried to slow down, and I even tried to emphasize maybe some of the things that I wanted you to catch. But to understand what the burnt offering is, the burnt offering is different than other offerings. You had the, you had the guilt offering for the guilt of the entire community. You had the sin offering, which or the atonement offering, which was a payment for sins. You had the fellowship offering, kind of crazy. The fellowship offering was actually a, a bread offering, and a grain offering, which through it allowed you to fellowship with God. It was kind of an act that in so doing was to bring communion with God. Kind of an illusion, by the way, when Jesus gives us, he is the bread of life and we have communion. It's kind of a picture of that whole thing. But remember, that's all fulfilled perfectly in Jesus Christ. The burnt offering is a little different. The burnt offering is actually a voluntary worship. It's a voluntary sacrifice whereby a person could not only 
make atonement for unintentional sin. In other words, things in their life they didn't even realize were there, but it was an expression of devotion to God and total commitment and surrender to God. It was worship. It was a moment where you're saying, Lord, you have everything that I am. This is something that is, is, is voluntary. And it was this idea of full surrender, full commitment. That was the burnt offering. And it's interesting when you look at this passage, there are a few observations that I would make. And the first one is simply this. The fire on the altar is a really big deal to God. You'll notice he says three times in only, what, eight, nine verses, the fire on the altar must not go out. The fire on the altar must continue. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. Three times. Now, let me tell you, when God says anything, you listen to him. When God says something twice, it means this is really important. But when God says something three times, it means if you neglect this, you do so at your own peril. It is an absolutely big-time thing to God of what happens on the fire on the altar. Now, what is the big deal? Well, the altar was the place of worship all throughout the Old Testament. If you had an altar in disrepair, it meant you had a spiritual life that was in disrepair. Basically, it was an indication of your spiritual life. The fire was an indication of the currentness of your worship. Let me say it again. The altar was the place of worship. The fire was the currentness of your worship life with God. It wasn't about fire. It was not about warmth. It wasn't even about sacrifice. It was about the presence of God. And the reason that it was important for the people to keep the fire on the altar burning was that the fire was an indication of their desire to see the presence of God moving in their life. It was an invitation, if you will, of the presence of God and the power of God. And by virtue, it was an indication to the people of God's presence with them. If you remember the story of Elijah, Mount Carmel, what did he ask for? Lord, The God who answers in fire. And the indication of God's fire was a, was a picture of God's presence and his power and his anointing on Elijah's life. And it's a really big deal to God. Because it's not important only to God that there's a place of worship, but that there's a currentness in worship. And when there's a disrepair, when there's a brokenness in your altar, it means that there's a disrepair and a brokenness in your relationship with God. And very simply this morning, how's your fire? How's your altar? Is it burning? Where's your worship life this morning? Fire on the altar must be kept burning. Now there's a second observation in this passage. And the second observation, it is, is the nature of our spiritual walk to wane without attention. In other words, your spiritual journey is going to cool if you don't keep on giving it attention. You'll notice, again, three times in this passage, verse 9, verse 12, verse 13, kept. 
The fire doesn't just keep burning. A fire, a fire left to itself is going to go out without attention. And a spiritual life, a worship life, without attention is going to wane and cool. In fact, it is always the nature that we will assume the room temperature of the spiritual climate in which we learn, in which we live. And I have rarely found a spiritual climate, at least as we're doing our everyday life. Now, in a church setting, in a worship setting, in a home Bible study, you may be in a very, very warm environment, and you will notice when you're in that environment, it ha helps you spiritually. Some of you have found that out, how important that is. Some are this morning at a camp meeting because camp for them is a place where the climate, the fire is hot, and it helps them in their spiritual journey. But I will tell you, left our own devices, we tend to assume the spiritual climate of our society and our culture. This morning, you'll notice I have a cup up here. Happens to be a cup of regular coffee. By the way, this is one of the cups that I most recently have received. I get a number of cups, okay? My favorite cup is at home, and uh, it says, uh, born to hunt, forced to work. That, that's my favorite cup. <laughs> And I, it's, I don't know, we've got 100 cups at home, but I wash that one every morning so that I can have my coffee in it. Boop. I don't know what I'm going to do when that thing cracks. That's the best 25 cents I ever spent at a garage sale. It was great. <laughs> this one says, Zechariah 7.5, our Lord finds us interesting. And on the other side it says, we love you, Pastor Phil. Stay interesting. I don't know how I'm doing, Dan. <laughs> that maybe is about the, the height of it right now. Um, I put hot coffee in it um, before the service began, and it's kind of a joke among those who know me. Pastor Dan's laughing right now. I do not, uh, I, I, I like hot things. I do not like lukewarm at all. Uh, I am somewhat infamous uh, for sending my soup back uh, at restaurants and asking them to put it in the microwave. I cannot stand Luke for, or lukewarm soup. It comes, by the way, from my uh, family of origin. It's my mom's fault. Uh, my mom, we call it a whetstone cup of coffee. And I never knew it till later that this is not the average cup of coffee. She would make the coffee so hot. The theory is, is you couldn't have a 10-minute conversation with her. You had to wait 15 to 20 minutes for it to cool down. She got extra time with her kids by serving her coffee that hot. She likes hot stuff. I like hot stuff. This is not hot. Pre I put it in fresh right before the first service began. I will tell you that is uh, not good. Why? Well, without a heat source, without something to keep the heat from escaping, it assumes room temperature. How's your temperature this morning? How's your spiritual temperature? How's your fire? Number three, third observation. A current Spiritual walk takes commitment to consistency. Your current spiritual walk takes a commitment to consistency. 
Notice it says, every morning, say every morning with me, would you? Every morning, the priest is to add fire, firewood and arrange the fire. Now, I don't think this is making a statement about that you have to, first thing in the morning, spend time with the Lord. Although I will tell you that the older I get, the easier that is for me because I wake up about 3.30 to 4.30 every morning anyway, and I find myself going to bed a little earlier. I get a good four and a half to five hours sleep, then I wake up. It's just what I do. Doesn't matter when I go to sleep, that's what's going to happen. And there is something for me, I get very distracted, I, I get on a, I, I, in fact, I find personally vacations are the hardest for me because I'm outside of my normal routine and I might sleep a little later and then I get up and it's like, oh, I want to accomplish all this stuff. And, but I, I don't think that's what this passage is about, but there is something about first thing in the morning, just simply beginning and talking to the Lord and worshiping the Lord. But I know this, it's got to be consistent. It's got to be continuous. My daughter, Brittany, um, recently is moving back from uh, Denver into the northern Indiana area. And while she was in Denver, she discovered that she really enjoys camping. And she likes to tent camp and would go with friends up into the mountains. She loves the mountains. And so over the last few years, we bought her some really nice camping equipment a little bit at a time. Um, got a nice sleeping bag and a sleep mat and a few other things. And then this summer, she said, Dad, um, two things I'd like from you. First of all, I'd like you to, when you go to your garage sales, I want you to find me a tent. And so I didn't. I found her three and bought them all. And that's just what I do. I buy three, take your pick. That's just what I do. By the way, if anybody needs a tent. <laughs> Got a couple. Um, found her some cool tents. They were backpack tents. They were real small and they were kind of made for an individual. And uh, the goal this summer is for us uh, here in the next month or so, just get away and just do a little, little camping together. The second thing she said is, Dad, I want you to teach me how to make a really good fire. And if you're a, a pyromaniac like I am on fire, there's a couple of different theories um, on how you, you do campfires. I personally am the uh, pyramid guy. I, I've always liked the pyramid way of doing it. You start with some really good burnable substance. Uh, if you can't, by the way, find any, you get inside the bark of a tree, scrape it, you get a little shavings there, and that'll get you started. And then you, you go with a little bit smaller, almost, uh, almost like toothpick size, and then you get a little bigger and a little bigger, and then you end up getting this pile. There's the other way, which is kind of a cool way to do it, which is like Lincoln Logs, where you, you build a little Lincoln Log thing. That might be a better way. And then there's another way, and that is you just take gas and throw it on. <laughs> If you're not that adventuresome, by the way, don't anybody do that. I am not suggesting that. Uh, but I do have kerosene at home for such an occasion as though it's, uh, I'm in a hurry and I want to get things going. And so, uh, you know, you get a little flame and you throw the kerosene on it and whoo, it goes really big. And the thing is, is that the explosiveness of, of either of those substances, by the way, lighter fluid, charcoal lighter, all that stuff works, right? And, and, um, uh, <laughs> Even a little WD-40 in a real, real pinch will, will work for you. There's a lot of things that burn like that, but the problem is, it is, is that a lot of times what will happen is it will flame really big and then it just flames out because it wasn't built well. 
There is something about building something that is built well at the very core that it continues to burn and it burns well. And so I would always prefer to have a well-built fire than a quick fire. And you're saying, well, what does all that mean? Well, some of us flame really quickly and explosively, but we aren't consistent about it. Sunday morning, if you will, is, is not building your fire. It, we'll call it the kerosene. I mean, this is a kerosene on your fire. This, this is a lighter fluid coming together with others, worshiping God. I hope that that is part of your, your worship. But remember what it says. Every morning, every day, this, this is way more commitment and consistency than once a week or twice a week if you hit a midweek or even three times a week if you hit a Bible study. This is about your fire. This is about your altar. By the way, let me pull back because I'm starting to get excited. This is not an accusation. It is a recognition that for 98% of those of us that are listening this morning, there are the 1% to 2%. This is never a struggle for you. But I will tell you there have been seasons in likely almost every person's life in here where the fire has dwindled. And I would bet there's a really good chance there's a number this morning that the altar is in a little bit of disrepair and the fire, if it's not out, it's dwindling. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. And so how do I rekindle that? Number one is repair your altar. The altar, in fact, it struck me. I was horrified this morning to realize our altars are not in here. But then again, I'm not horrified because these really don't represent, these represent an altar because of what takes place here, but they don't look anything like an altar. They're actually called kneeling benches. An altar, Old Testament-wise, was about four feet by six feet. It was a platform about this high. It's where a sacrifice would be made. There was a fire that was burnt under it or as part of it. It was, in fact, many times stone because of all the heat that would be generated but it was, a, it was a place of meeting. It was a place of worship. And I would just simply encourage you to rebuild your altar. Interesting study for you to do if you'd like. I'm going to give you two passages of Scripture. Genesis 35 and Genesis 38. I would encourage you to read them this week. In Genesis chapter 35, Jacob, with his two wives and his family, 11 boys, 12 boys, is on his way back and about to reunite with his brother Esau. And as he's getting ready for the meeting, the Lord tells him, I want you to go back to Bethel. And I want you to go back there and build an altar. Bethel in the Hebrew means the house of God. By the way, I never even thought about how unique that is. I, I never, never struck me how appropriate that is. I literally just now just hit me. 
But what is significant about Bethel is what God had done there in Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, Jacob was making his way. He didn't even know God yet. And in Genesis 28, he is launching out into whatever it is that God has for him. And it's there that he has a dream where he gets a vision of a stairway to heaven. <laughs> Not that song. <laughs> he sees a stairway to heaven and he gets a vision of God's glory and he sees angels ascending and descending and he wakes up and he goes, surely God is here and I didn't even know it. And he builds an altar with a rock that he had slept his head on and he called that place Bethel, meaning this is the house of God. And 15, 20 years has passed. He's got kids, he's got family, he's got responsibilities and he has wealth. And God says, I want you to go back to the place I met you. Something over time has waned. And for you to do what I'm really calling you to do, you've got to get back to the place where God, he is here. He didn't have to start over again. He just had to rediscover his first love. Recently, I have a friend who's been in ministry as long as I've been. In fact, we went to college together. Went through a, a hellacious year. And really wondered if his time in ministry was done. He said, I got on my motorcycle and I began to just ride. found myself going through some old haunts. Before I realized it, I was close to the old campus where we went to college. Since, by the way, is closed. He said, I found my way into the chapel building and I went up to the altar and he told me the rail he was at. I don't remember what rail it was, but he said, was on the left side and I let's just say the third rail in he said because it was at that rail where the Lord met me and called me and he said I, I knelt down at that rail and I said Lord here I am and if you want me to get out of this thing of ministry if, you, if you're done that's fine you got me Lord I'll do whatever you want me to do but if you want me you've got to let me know and he shared the story of how God once again affirmed that he was exactly where he wanted him to be and he was doing exactly what he wanted him to do he didn't start over He just had to go back to the place where the Lord had met him. 
You may not physically be able to go back to that place, but to get in that place where you rediscover the God who loves you. It's a way of rebuilding, reigniting your fire. I would say you need to add a little fuel to it, number two, and by that I just mean either spending time in fellowship with the Lord, maybe opening the Bible again. Sometimes the hardest conversation is just starting the conversation with God. I'm guessing most of you here pray, but I would guess many of you here, you spend very little time talking to the Lord. It's just simply become for you, go through the list of what you know you're supposed to ask for, but it's been a long time since you really talked. Brown City Camp was unique this year. Tuesday morning, there was a genuine move of God in the young adult hoop barn where young people gathered post-college, pre-probably 32, 33. And it began it turned into a confession and testimony time that went on four and a half hours as young people got up, confessed what they were dealing with, and then asked people to pray over them for healing in that area. That, the testimonies were really powerful. Nothing I'm going to share is a confidential thing. It was all done in a public service later, but was a young man who had been saved, rescued from an abortion, who he himself later got a a young lady pregnant and helped her get an abortion, and he was carrying it just broken. She got up and asked for forgiveness, asked for healing, for going against everything in his life that his life had always stood for. The evening service became a testimony service, had some ebbs and flows, but there's one testimony that really strikes me. It was a woman who got up toward the the end of the testimony time. Frankly, I was a little fatigued. Um, I'd been up working around the altar with people. As people were sharing testimonies, others would come to the altar, and so people would be working with them, and then people would kind of share. But this lady got up in her tears, and she said, eight months ago, my husband died of COVID couldn't have been I mean she was maybe 60 and she began to weep and she said I have been for 8 months so angry at God I don't even want to talk to him and she confessed her sin and she asked for people to pray over her for healing and her walk and her relationship with God. And I don't know what, I don't know who the woman was. I, I mean, I, I don't know what happened afterwards, but I dare say she repaired an altar. She renewed a fire. Stoke the fire, number three, make a commitment to consistency. And then, by the way, number five um, is just simply that if, um, if there's something that needs to be righted, right before that passage, the Lord says, if you stole something, you need to give it back. 
If you took something that doesn't belong to you, what it's really saying is, is that if you're serious, then you need to start making acts of obedience. Don't talk about a sincerity to the Lord. Actually begin to put it into action and do the hard things that God calls you to do. And you'll notice the fire returning. How's your fire? How's your altar? Max Lucado, a number of years ago, wrote a, a book called And God Came Near. And I remember after reading this passage that it has been one of those that I have held on to for 20 plus years, probably closer to 30 now. Talking about how Satan works in the life of the believer, he said, he, Satan, had been on my tail for years and I didn't even know it, but I know it now. I have come to detect his tactics and I'm doing my best to avoid them. His aim is deadly. His goal is flawless. In his mind, it is nothing less than taking what is precious and making it appear as though it's most common. To say that this agent of familiarity yields contempt is to let him off easy because contempt is only one of his offspring. He also sires broken hearts and wasted hours and insatiable desire for more. He, Satan, is the expert in taking the sparkle and replacing the drab. He invented the yawn. He put the hum and humdrum. And his strategy is deceptive. He won't steal your salvation. He'll only make you forget what it's like to be lost. You'll grow accustomed to prayer, and therefore you won't pray. Worship will become commonplace. Study will become optional. And with the passing of time, he will infiltrate your heart and cover the cross with dust so that you'll be safely out of reach of any change. How's your fire? Father, this morning I thank you that you're the God who loves us and pursues us. And I realize over the last half of this message, I actually brought the intensity down a little bit. It's because I, I don't want anyone this morning to feel accused. I want everyone this morning to feel invited. Because the fire on the altar is a really big deal and your presence is promised in our life and it is life changing, but it's only promised as we give attention and our worship and our invitation to you. And somehow in the meandering of the message this morning, there was something that spoke to a heart. It tapped on a shoulder. It was the Spirit of God saying, this is you. This was for you. You're not too far gone. And the apathy that's become the norm is not what I want for you. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. Some of you feel as though you're in a season of penance where if you give enough 
years of penance for where you've been, maybe God would let you come near again. But can I promise you, God does not look to you to be a pauper. He looks to you to come near through his son, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter where you have been or what you have done. He invites you, come near. In a moment, rekindle and repair the altar that's been broken. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. And so, Lord, this morning, however it is that you may be speaking, I believe there's an invitation. And the altars that are normally in the front may be gone, but the place is still here. And the steps or the front seats or whatever it is as we obey you, there's a desire in this place to rekindle and to have you come near once again. And so we're going to sing just real quickly a couple of little choruses. And while prayer partners will be available, I don't want them to interrupt what is really your private walk with God, but you'd like to come simply as a symbol of desire to repair, restore, or maybe just simply to say, Lord, I love you. I, I don't know how the Lord may be speaking. But if you'd like to come and kneel or sit or just be in his presence, I want to invite you to do so when we stand. Don't delay. We're not going to tarry long. Let's give attention to the fire this morning. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Oh, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense, my Father, um, I would always pray that what we sing would be a prayer of authenticity of our heart. I pray that that would be the desire of our heart, that we need you. And that is not, that is not an embarrassing thing for me at all. It is, a, it is a wonderful statement of absolute dependency on you in my life. Lord, would you continue to speak to us throughout this day? 
whatever it is that maybe you began this morning, continue to do it, we pray, until it's been brought to where it needs to be in completion. In Jesus Christ, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.